It's the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast with your hosts, Stan Dryav and Nick Bracha. Welcome to the MMA Geeks C-Level Podcast. This is your host, Stan Dryav, and my co-host, the father's plan to my Alexander Volkanovsky and JP3 Nick Braccia. Good to be on with you, man. Good to be on. We're going to talk about UFC 284 and all the shenanigans that went down there. And we're going to break down at least some of the more kind of interesting fights of this upcoming UFC fight night. Andrade versus Blanchfield. Nick, what the deal is, man? Yeah, man. Exciting main event. Pretty, you know, pretty cool card. Man, talk about exciting. I was super high it, I mean, it was, the, it was why I still hang around the sport, despite like a lot of my waning enthusiasm for, you know, for the UFC in particular. Right. But, Wow. I mean, talk about two guys at the top of their game, technical mastery, both a word I've overused in the three years that we've been doing this, or maybe longer, um, composure. Yeah. Neither one of them lost their composure for a goddamn second. And even Volkanovsky in those, those cranks and potential chokes with one of the most dangerous submission artists that MMA has ever known. Not for a second losing is cool. It was it was remarkable as a fan of as a fan of competitive sport. Period. It was it was a sight to see. It and while Volkanovski is a is a charismatic guy, um, you know he's not an extremely confident guy. Uh, he's not. Oh, he's, he seems off very confident to me. He's, he's just not. Boastful. He's great, but he's he's not. Yeah, he's not. But he's not. Right, he's not a Conor McGregor. They, they were. They're just likable dudes. I get that Makachev's kind of dorky. Like anybody, anybody who grows up in a, like an extremely orthodox community is going to be, you know, most likely not at the top of their game socially or on the mic. He's very earnest. He seems like a young kid. He seems younger than he is. Um, yeah, I can see there but being he's gained, somewhat of an immaturity to him. But he's gaining. But he's gaining con- not, Yeah, not immaturity in like a bad like in, no, a, in, a, in a in a in a in a bad way. Just in a like. He, he's a me like you know he let's put it this way his composure wanes a lot more on the mic than it does when he's in the cage with a killer for 25 minutes that's trying to take his head off yeah i mean we're gonna get into this <laughs> later but i would argue that fifth round his composure wasn't quite what it was and there's a reason why things ran away from him but again we're gonna get into that later i thought volkanovsky kept it all in place i don't i don't think that was composure i think that was exa- i think that was exhaustion but well yeah but losing your losing some of that composure due to exhaustion i mean i guess there's an argument to be made that volkanovsky lost some of his composure late in that fourth round as he was punching him with makashev holding his back but but yeah, yeah, go on. What were your impressions of the decision? Was it just the pound for pound Oof. situation? What are your thoughts? You know, this? it's funny. I was thinking about that this morning. It was a remarkable fight. I need to watch it again. Um, but my feeling was first round Makachev, second round probably Makachev. But if Very I squint, close. I could see it. I could see it. Volkanovski. Yep. Third round was clear. Volkanovski. I thought fourth round was pretty clear Makachev, and fifth round was clear Volkanovski. So it comes down to how you score round two. Right. Um, so that's the one I that's the one I want to rewatch. But the way the fact that it was in Australia, and the way that Volkanovski closed out, I was very surprised to hear a forty nine forty six scorecard. Yeah, it sounds like that um, one judge gave only that fifth round to Volkanovski, and it was the clearest round of the fight. I thought. Yeah, it was the clear. It was definitely the clearest round of the fight. It had, um, it had the most damage. Also, you know, between the announcers and the crowd, this is one of those fights to go back and watch without sound. No doubt about it. Yeah, and I haven't done that yet. But there, there have been other fights. Um, like, I mean, the first one that really threw me off was Shogun Machida. Um, Shogun Machida won. Like watching that without sound. Uh, so until I do that, I won't know for sure. But you know, it just it just doesn't it just doesn't get much better than the, than these two guys. And I do feel like like Makachev is still growing. Like he he does feel to me still less fully realized than than Volkanovski, and certainly less fully realized than Khabib. He I mean, seems this was young. His first and actual fight in which he got resistance, besides the one in which he got blown out. Right, so. You know, this was a huge experience builder for him. So on paper, it makes him a much scarier 
guy to fight at 155 for any of those other prospects who have a lot more holes than somebody like Volkanovsky. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, as hard as is, even though a Gagey or a Chandler or a McGregor, you know, may hit harder than Volkanovsky, and I think we can agree they all do hit harder than Volkanovsky. Likely. And, or a Poirier, that I don't see any of those guys being able to stop being able to stop that shot. The timing, the timing on the, oh my, I think was it in the fourth round? There was one shot that was so beautiful. Yes. And it was where, late where in the fight. When you Volkanovski kind of lunging in. It was perfect, yes. He's going to, I mean, against the, against those firefighters, he's going to be able to do this. There's no way he doesn't drop, I love Dustin Poirier. There's no way he doesn't drop Poirier on his head. You know, I just, I just see him taking down and strangling all those guys. Yeah, I think that's realistic. And those guys have shown that, if you're an elite enough grappler, they've shown against guys like Khabib, guys like Oliveira, if you're a high-level grappler and you put serious pressure on them, they will take the way out. Or maybe they'll just get outcrafted, depending on who's... I think they just. Get, I think it's just a, che- it's a chess match. I don't I don't think Dustin Poirier has quit ever. Like, certainly not in his, you know, his more mature run, right, in the UFC following getting knocked out by Michael Johnson. But in the jiu-jitsu game, sometimes you just get fucking checkmated. It's not a question of heart. It's there's nothing you can do. You are going to go unconscious. Well, I guess what I'm thinking of is the way that Conor McGregor's lost by submission. It wasn't because, you know... you know. Oh, McGregor's a different... McGregor's a prize fighter. He's not in the... He, he, he wanted out, you know what I'm saying? And Makhachev yeah. wins by submission that way. That's why I felt like you were confident that Makhachev was going to take down Volkanovski and submit him. I was not confident about that at all because... The way that Mahashev submits guys is by taking their heart away first. He gets them tired. He gets them to feel like they're helpless. They can't do much, and they just don't want to do this anymore. That's when he sinks into submission. He doesn't like have this beautiful, you know, jujitsu or sambo where he catches you during a transition, and you have no choice but to tap. Like somebody like Brian Ortega, who's able to momentarily catch Volkanovski. So that's why I, that's why I didn't think it was likely. I've never seen any hint of quit in Volkanovski, and I didn't see any of it here either. No, no absolutely not. And he, you know, I mean. Makajo was never fully under the chin. No. Um, and because Volkanovski has good technique, and because Volkanovski will yeah. never quit. He will never get, like, he won't just let you slip under the chin because the fight is not comfortable. You know what I'm saying? Right, Whereas right. a lot of those guys, almost all the guys that Mahashev has submitted over his last five fights, um, almost all of them, maybe maybe not Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker was pure technique, but all the rest of those guys, they were just like, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. This is suffocating and uncomfortable, and I want to quit. And I remember early in my grappling days when I first started doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I had a, a big wrestler on top of me who just had a serious base and I had you know didn't have enough technique to get him off me. I remember that running through my mind. And I would always fight that urge, right? But that thought of, oh, I, I can barely breathe. This is so suffocating. It's so uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, that whole thing, right? And you give into that. You give into that once and then it gets easier and easier and easier to give into that. And, and Makhachev is won by submission, I think mostly because he puts guys in that mindset. That's... <laughs> You just reminded me when I would train at Punch, and that's how I felt four seconds after Joao was on top of me. I believe it. And I was, like, I was like, I'm done. Get off. That's why I trained with James, who was like, who I had a 60 pound weight advantage over. Yes, yes. I was like, get on top, James. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah James, by the way, now, now a black belt. Oh, right? James is a, James would beat the shit out of me, but but I could handle the weight. I could handle yeah, yeah, the weight I better. I know. I know exactly what you mean. They really <coughs> and, and that's the thing about Mahachev's strength. Uh, strength. People talk about how suffocating he is. Volkanovski, it sounds like is a. Li- it seems like, just based on what we saw in this fight, is at least as strong as is Mahachev, is the impression I got. Now, Mahachev is the bigger, heavier man, and I think that played a factor, and I think that's something we can talk about as far as the pound-for-pound ranking. So quickly, I want to I I talk about my scorecard for this fight. Right, I thought that Mahachev won round one, clearly enough, although clearly got wobbled as Volkanovski came in. I think Volkanovski landed a straight left hand pretty close up as he kind of waited him after a right hand. He kind of stepped through the way that um, the way that Poirier doesn't switch the stance for a moment, landed a stiff, clean uh, backhand right to the jaw, and Makhachev just stumbled back like you know four or five feet all the way back to the cage. So that was the most damaging shot in that first round. But you know Makhachev did get his back and did hold on to it, and even though there was no damage from there, he still had a dominant position. So first round Makhachev, second round was competitive. I actually thought Makhachev landed more strikes on Balkanovsky, and I'm going to check the stats just to confirm that. Um, I thought that Makhachev landed more on Volkanovski in that second round. And as much as I am biased in favor of Volkanovski, I thought that that second round should have gone to Makhachev. I know that's one that a lot of fighters, including, I think, Volkanovski... No, it was very close. Yeah. No, I, it, I, it was very competitive. 
Um, and, and I'm somebody, again, who's looking for rounds to give to Volk, like, like at least like subconsciously, right? Like, that's not my goal. But, like, uh, re-watching it, I just rewatched it um, a second ago, that second round. And I think I have to give it to Mahashev because he landed overall more strikes. Yeah, he took him down and, and Volkanovsky got up pretty quickly. Majority of that round was on the feet, and maybe that's why a lot of people give it to Volkanovsky. I thought Mahashev probably deserved the second round. Still close. That's fair. Third round is where the clear, you know, the fairly clear round for Volkanovsky. Uh, I don't think there's really anybody disputing that, maybe besides Makhachev and his team, right? Volkanovsky took the third round. The fourth round is the one that I think there's an extremely strong argument for Volkanovsky. So if you look at if you look at the stats for that round, I actually rewatched that round uh, before we got on for this podcast because I thought this was a pivotal one. And I felt strongly that Volkanovsky won that round. And I'll tell you why. Extremely competitive round on the feet. Not a whole lot happened there. And then Mahashev ends up getting him down, I think, with about three minutes left. And while they're on the ground, with about three minutes, for about three minutes of that, of that fourth round, Mahashev lands maybe, maybe eight or nine shots. And they're pretty very, very short-range shots. Volkanovsky lands over 50, Nick. He lands over 50 strikes on Mahashev's chin. Are they significant strikes that can concuss a person? No. Are they pretty clear shots where he swung his entire arm over? Yeah, like like when you're the one in quote-unquote dominant position and you're getting hit and you can't do anything about it and you're trying but you can't and you just keep getting hit many, many, many times, like you're taking more damage. Damage is the number one criteria. So in my book, Volkanovski won round three, four, and five. Round five, arguably uh, a two-point round, arguably a 10-8, and I'll tell you why. Oh, I don't think that was a 10-8 round. And and that's fair. And and by the way, that's not unreasonable. I am am all for giving more leeway to 10-8 rounds to 10-7 rounds because unless you almost kill a guy, you're not getting a 10-8 round, right? You get a 10-9 round if you clearly win a round where there's no question about it. You get a 10-9 round if you barely, barely eke it out by a single shot, by a single punch. And that makes no sense to me, right? Volkanovski knocked Makhachev down on that round. Volkanovski battered him at the end of that round with ground and pound, like pretty clearly dominating him at the end of that round. The only real dominant moment in this fight was Volkanovski in the fifth round. Knocked him down. That already makes an argument for a 10-8 round. And then literally just was battering him with huge ground and pound shots, kind of like the way he did against Ortega multiple times throughout their bout, late in that fifth round. Basically ending the fight showing that like if this fight keeps going... I will kill this man, right? Like, clearly, Makhachev was tired, and it's understandable. I talked about last week how Makhachev didn't have the, the experience. He didn't have those wars. He didn't have uh, that kind of experience in an actual fight. Nobody's really resisted him besides that one fight that he lost, right? And so, well, I should say, besides um, uh, the one fighter that, that resisted him was... Thiago Moises, uh, a little bit. No, not really. What's his name? Um... Uh, in his USC debut, hold on, I've, I've got I've got a quick look this up because this is worth looking at. Oh, it was uh, uh, Turgenev. Saryukin, Armand Saryukin. Right? Oh, that's right. This was a, a very scramble heavy back and forth fight until late in that third round. Saryukin making his UFC debut, being a super young guy in his early twenties, you know the pressure started to get to him and he ended up on his back. But we've seen only one time that he gets real resistance. And so that's why I thought this was a close fight on paper. That's why if this was my pick, I would have picked Volkanovski. And honestly, you ended up changing your pick to Volkanovski. That was a good call, dude. Like, given how the fight played out, right, it's pretty clear that this was a much more competitive fight than a plus three something uh, card would suggest. So uh, I thought he won rounds three, four, and five. I think four is debatable. I think two was competitive, but I, I gave that one to Makhachev. And I think it's, there's a debate as to whether round five should be a 10-8 round because it was by far the most dominant round either guy had. No no questions about it. So I think a they- lot of this... Uh, it's, it was hard to really understand how bad Makachev was hurt because and if that was a knockdown or not because of the way the camera was, because of his position when he got punched. It, I couldn't really tell what was going on. Sometimes, like, it's it can be very deceptive that a shot is hurting someone if it catches them in between actions or in a transition like i don't i don't know i couldn't tell well again I'll, I'll put it to you this way this was the only thing scored as a knockdown in this fight and there were a couple of other moments that could arguably be scored as knockdowns right arguably but those to me those should not have been right like there was a moment i think in that uh i think maybe it was in the first or second round where volkanovsky hits makhachev as makhachev shoots for a takedown 
and you're like not sure whether he hurt him, and that's why he dropped her. Because yeah, and Volkanovski got got dropped, quote dropped that way a couple of times during the well, fight. Well, no, one time, one time Volkanovski's knee hit the hit the canvas, and it was after he took a couple of shots, kind of on the upper part of the head, and then like another shot which whiffed him, completely missed, and that's the moment that he kind of dropped. So, so yeah, like w- w- did he get buzzed? Yes. Did Mahashev get knocked down in the fifth round? Yeah, I think so. I, I've watched the replay. I've watched yeah. it again. Um, I, I feel like he got knocked down. They officially scored it a knockdown, and I think that's fair. And again, that in addition to the fact that Mahashev did almost nothing that round, Mahashev ended up on his back, and for a couple of minutes, he's getting pounded away. That's a 10-8 round. Well, was it a couple of minutes, or was it like 40 seconds? I thought it was a couple of minutes, and and, um, and I can and I can quickly reload this fight and and, and uh, or reload reload this round and watch it again quickly. Um, I thought it was over a minute because I think if I remember correctly, Volkanovski had over two minutes of control, and I believe he only had control in that fifth round. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and click on this fight right now. And we're going to find out, Nikolai. Uh, let's see as far as the rounds go. Round five um, looks like. Where's the control? There it is. Round five, a minute 33 of control for Volkanovsky. So a minute and a half of him doing damage, right? He wasn't laying in the guard. He didn't have his head in Makhachev's stomach. He was postured and he was pounding for a good portion of that time. Landed uh, 52 total strikes that round. Do you know how many Makhachev landed total strikes? Eight. That's not even close, man. That's a dominant, dominant round. On top of the knockdown that was scored in that round. So again, round five is a 10-8 round for me. Round four, I scored for uh, I scored for Volkanovski, who landed. By the way, round four that you scored for Mahashev, Volkanovski landed forty nine, Mahashev landed nineteen. I know Mahashev held on to him tight as he was getting punched in the face, but he was getting he was getting pounded on. Now, not serious shots, not the same kind of shots that Volkanovski landed in the fifth round. But again, this is the reason why I would score this round close close fight, but I would score this fight for Volkanovski. I don't have a serious issue with the fight being scored for Mahashev. Uh, what I do have a serious issue with is the idea that you eke out an extremely close, competitive, back-and-forth war of a decision against a notably smaller man, who I think is five inches shorter, who fights 10 pounds below, and then you declare yourself the p- number one pound-for-pound fighter on the planet. Like, that's not how it works. If Demetrius Johnson fought, fought I don't know, uh, whoever the featherweight champion was at the time and lost... It, it didn't mean that Demetrius Johnson is no longer pound-for-pound pound best fighter on the planet. That's silly talk, right? Like, there's a reason pound-for-pound pound suggests that you are the same size, and if you are the same size and you compete, whoever would win in that situation. That's the kind of proverbial thing that we're going through when we're making these pound-for-pound pound rankings. The best fighter on the planet, to me, is still Alexander Volkanovsky. Now, I am biased, but I'm not biased enough to score that second round for Volkanovsky. Um, I do think he won three, four, and five, and I thought he won round five very, very decisively. I, I mean, listen, I have no problem with Islam's. First of all, like Islam's not the one starting these conversations. He didn't create the notion of pound well, for he, pound. Well, he is the like, one who declared himself best fighter in the world ten or twelve times well, after the fight. Well, that's. And, and, I mean, he's just, he's just following he the he's following he's following the marketing, which was this is to determine this. But the like, marketing was set high, up by him and Khabib. That was talked about by him and Khabib. If he's high on his own supply a little bit, yeah. I'm okay with that. But it really depends on on criteria. And if he wants to be proud of himself in the moment, like I don't really have any issue with that. But the fact of the matter is that Alexander Volkanovsky would fare better at 155 than Islam Makhachev would at 170. Yeah, I, I know likelihood. I, I tend and to that's right. and for and for me. And it, and I think Volkanovski does better at 155 than Khabib probably does at 170. And hard to like, tell, but could be uh, Khabib is a different I'm, animal because his athleticism makes him harder. Even though he's way less technical than Volkanovski in a lot of ways, makes him harder to compete with for most guys. Like the fact, all these stories. Yeah, about but him is he gonna 205 pound fighters just just uh, dragging them down I mean, and dominating them? Um, makes I, I just like I don't you know I don't I maybe not I just. I can't see him shoot. I can't see him taking down Usman, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, yeah, I wonder. Man, anyway, my fact is that, that when when I think about pound for pound, it's like whether going up in weight or down in weight. Like, can can a will a guy's skills carry him? You know, in either direction, outside of his established weight class to success. Oh, really? Henry That's Su- what you think Henry, it's pound for pound. I I I think a pound for pound as who. Yeah, that's my that's my that's my criteria for pound for pound. It's why Henry Cejudo is such a great example because 
Henry Cejudo, you could say, his natural weight or where he should be at this stage in his life or even before was 135. Yeah. And it's like Henry Cejudo is fast enough and can maintain enough with the weight cut to be the best in the world at oh, at 125. Yeah. And I would, you know, and his own class 135. And I would pick Henry Cejudo against a lot of fighters at 145. So it's just, for me, it's it's just, it's how how far does their you know does their dominance stretch um that's how that's how i that's my that's my criteria for pound for pound that's why adesanya is is you know still a candidate because adesanya's skills and i think alex Pahea would do quite well um well, yeah, yeah, he, I see. Alex I see. Probably it, like a weight division below where he should be anyway. I, I see it. I see it as a fighter's ability. Um, a, a fighter's ability transcends their weight class and go and can spawn can spawn into the divisions that are held by other competitors. It's funny because I, I I thought that there was a there was a definitive definition to pound for pound, and it basically meant the, uh, all else being the same. If you fought the other champions. You would be the better. You would likely win. Is is how I saw it. Like if you were the same size as the as John Jones, your skills would overcome his. Your attributes would overcome his. Is how I looked at it. But in any case, I believe that Volkanovski is still number one pound for pound. If we're, even if we're counting this as a loss on his record, given the close nature of the bout, if if um, Islam had dominated him, or even like even you know controlled a couple of rounds and then finished him in the third round, yeah, he's pound for pound best fighter in the world. When uh, you're like when Volkanovski you can. Here's what we learned: Volkanovski yeah. can beat Islam Makhachev. Absolutely, no, no doubt. No doubt. It is. A, I think Islam Makhachev can beat Volkanovski. He yeah. did, and I think he could. I think he would also also be tougher and better next time. Um, yeah, he certainly get. But, a, he got a lot of. Both guys got a huge amount of experience from this. Volkanovski's already had these kinds of experiences. Volkanovski's just for, he's further along in his career, and his composure was a, was a bit better. Yeah. Um. The mo- there is no moment that is too big for Alexander Volkanovski. I agree. Makachev, Makachev doesn't let the moment get him. Yeah. But you could. But you could see how it could. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you see, still, he's 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 still, he's still not deer in the headlights, but yeah, he's still developing. Yeah. Yeah, Volkanovski is fully yeah. developed, but Volkanovski is like five years older. But isn't also, he? you're saying Volkanovski is fully developed. Um, Volkanovski is 34 years old. I think Mahashev is something like 31. I'm gonna look into it quickly. But you're saying Volkanovski is fully developed. Uh, when I, when I mean, I don't mean as a f- I, 31 not just 34, not, like three years. Not back. his skills. I mean his self belief. Like he is a complete. Yeah, well, I don't believe that Alex. That that's what I that's what I mean. Yeah. Like I'm really I'm really talking about that. Like Volkanovski's composure can't get better. There is no moment possible that you could put him in where he would bow to the moment. Yeah, it's where not. he would where he would panic. It just yeah. It you put him. You like could put him in against fucking Inganu. He would not panic. I, I don't disagree, and I wouldn't put it past him to do well. Um, yeah, man. Look, spectacular, elite, elite level MMA, and I think Volkanovski was right in that Makhachev probably underestimated Volkanovski's strength and grappling, his scrambling ability, which we always always knew was good. We were just wondering how it would be against the guy who seemingly was so much stronger than all those guys at fifty five, and uh, Volkanovski underestimated Makhachev's striking. And I talked about how Makhachev's striking has been developing. Do I think it's spectacular? No, but he's got some good fundamentals. He he counters well. He's comfortable in the pocket. He sees things that a lot of these grapplers simply do not see. A lot of these strikers don't even see in the pocket the way that uh, Makhachev often enough does. Uh, and he's think, not slow. No, he's definitely not slow. I do think one thing that I want to note on about this fight, I think one of the things that Volkanovski could have done to more clearly, at least in my eyes, or just overall clearly win this fight is he was being too aggressive physically as he was moving forward for offense. It's one of the reasons why Mahashev was able to catch that clean takedown timed perfectly because Volkanovski, excuse me, Volkanovski kept doing the same thing where he would just lunge in with his offense. Now, he kept, he kept his legs under him, which is good, right? He wasn't like leaning forward. Um, so he wasn't increasing his, his chance by much of, of being knocked out. But still, the fact that his body was moving full speed at Makhachev allowed Makhachev the momentum to potentially shoot in under that. And, and that worked for Makhachev once or twice, sometimes on the counter with his punches and sometimes uh, occasionally with those takedowns. So I think like Volkanovski was rushing it a little bit too much. And he did, you know, he showed some arguably frustration in that fourth round when he was pounding on Makhachev uh, as Makhachev controlled his back. And to be fair, maybe he was playing mind games. It's not like he, it's not like he like, made big mistakes in that position. He just like showed like like he was fired up and frustrated and throwing punches. So he showed like some glimmer of what could be perceived as uh, maybe hints of mental weakness. But um, I think his biggest 
weak point was that he was a little bit too aggressive. Maybe he got a little bit too excited once. But he what's he supposed to do there, Stan? Like I think about Daniel Cormier, John Jones. Yeah. And like how how does a guy at a height and reach advantage get inside without doing that? Well, how do you re- I, how do you reach I think, your guy? I, I think becoming too you can spare those lunges much more infrequently, right? He just like it became it became like automatically what he does. And at first, I remember, and when I watched f- tape for this fight, I remember thinking, oh, the way that he lunges in like that against Max Holloway, he goes right into the clinch. He collapses the pocket. That's going to give Mahachev what he wants. And and I, and then I thought he's too smart to do that against Mahachev. And to be fair, I get it. Like I know he has to reach him. He doesn't have the shortest reach by the way in the world for a guy his height but i get that it was hard to reach him but you got to throw those jabs out you got to land and i know he was very very careful with kicks that was evident i get why he was careful with kicks calf kicks wouldn't have been the worst thing especially since his inside kick was his best kick and with islam being a southpaw the back of his calf was available there right so so i i think like those feints and fakes that he was imploring early on were great if he had just continued with more of that and and he would have mixed up those the, those kind of I, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, what, what's the word for um, when a karate fighter comes in for a for, for a uh, whatever the term for it is, right? Ma, uh, hurricane Hurricane Rana, <laughs> I guess. Um, Volkanovski just just going full blast forward right into Makachev's pocket. That like that proved to be a mistake if he was a little bit more patient. If he threw out more of those jabs, which were landing for him the occasion on the occasion that he was throwing them, if he had planted his feet when Makachev was moving forward and clocked him with the right, it would have it would have worked better for him. What I did like about Volkanovski and this allowed for Makachev to land some strikes was the fact that Volkanovski had to keep his hands a little bit lower because he wanted to make sure that he was able to dig those underhooks in case they were suddenly engaged in a clinch, which again gave Makachev the opportunity to land some of those strikes standing up that he maybe wouldn't have in a kickboxing context. But again, elite, elite level MMA, uh, level MMA. While I acknowledge that Volkanovski has a loss on his record now for the first time in many, many years and for the first time in the UFC, I still count him by the, the clear-cut number one best fighter on the planet. And I considered Volkanovski, for the record, to be the best pound-for-pound fighter on planet Earth before Usman lost to uh, Edwards. I thought, I, I, look at his resume. It's absolutely phenomenal, and, and, and I think this fight only adds to it. Um, he is my favorite fighter, and he happens to be the best fighter in the world, and I'm uh, pretty excited about it, man. Looking forward to, you know, obviously he's, he's now got a matchup that's pretty big on his hands with Yaya Rodriguez, and, and we can get into that uh, next. What were your thoughts on the co-main event, man? Um, it went largely how I thought it was going to go. I think um, Yaya has more tools and more ways to win. Emmett is durable and hits like a truck. Um, I think he's fallen in love with his power a little bit much, but as a guy in his late 30s, like, that's not an enormous surprise. Yeah. Um, and, like, listen, I thought he might, you know, I thought he might wrestle a little bit, but He got anything, a couple times, but it didn't work yeah, out for him, right? No, it didn't. That's the thing. If anything, like, you know, after watching A.R. Rodriguez get murdered by a smaller guy in Frankie Edgar uh, when he just couldn't get up and got ground and pounded by a dude who's a... A great fighter, but it's not like people have had trouble shucking off Frankie Edgar. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know about oh, that. At at at, at one forty five, um, back back then for Yara Rodriguez when he was still very very much a developing fighter. I don't know if it's the worst loss. I don't know if that's the worst loss in his career. Man. Uh, no, I'll, no, no. I'm just I'm just saying. Well, he took a ton of damage, though. he didn't fight yeah, for a long time afterwards. My point is that for a guy who got beaten mercilessly when he was stuck on the bottom to turn being on the bottom into an advantage and throw up that triangle and get that win in a big fight on a big stage shows that yeah, Rodriguez, despite the general inactivity, um, you know, over the last few years has, yeah, has developed a lot. I don't think I, you know, I'm not picking him against Volkanovsky. No, that's for sure. No, but it Um, it is an intriguing matchup. And I think given all those variables, it makes it an exciting one, but I agree with you. Volkanovsky. And he's a, I mean, he's a dangerous fighter for Volkanovsky because I don't care who you are. If, you know, with a, with a wild creative strike. Yeah. Like, yeah, Rodriguez could finish anybody. Max Holloway, as good as Max Holloway is, you know, Holloway wins wars of attrition and he he beats people down with volume and with technique right. and he almost, you know, but it's not like Volkanovski ever had, ever had to be afraid of a spitting heel kick catching his jaw, you know? Sure. Um, and he will in it. So it's a, it's a pretty, it's, you know, it's a pretty marketable fight. Um, it's a good contender, but I, I, uh, 
I think Alexander Volkanovsky is too smart and too good to lose that fight. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Volkanovski is going to be the favorite, but Yair Rodriguez, man, he did everything seemingly right in this matchup. Yeah, he got clocked and he got hurt at some point and he spent some time on his back, but it's interesting how the, I think it was John Anik was talking about how Yair Rodriguez decided that rather than just like trying to scramble and get to his feet, he should be spending, like he's comfortable laying on his back and actually going for a submission offense. And, you know, during the current moment in MMA, that's not recommended, right? You are taught no, to... No, when was the last time we saw a triangle? We used to see them all the time. Yeah, certainly not ten, at an 10, 15 years ago, we would yeah. see, you know, Anderson right. Silva beating Travis Luter and Chael yeah. Sonnen by a triangle. Like, you don't see it. Yeah, no, no, no doubt about it. But that's the thing is that, you know, the, those were mental mishap things. Like, Travis Luter, you don't submit Travis Luter from your back as Anderson Silva unless he's exhausted. And he was exhausted. Uh, right. and, and, and same thing with Chel Sonnen. He was known for doing well early and then having a mental break late in a fight. Could have been, you know, could have been tired as well. Who knows? But in this matchup, Yair Rodriguez put a lot of damage on uh, Josh Emmett, a lot of attritional damage. Those body kicks were sensational, man. And even off of his back, at a, uh, the couple times that he was on his back, he was pounding away, man. He was landing some pretty big shots to that man's head. So, so he, he accrued a lot of damage on Emmett before Emmett was basically ready for the picking with a minute left in that second round. And Yair Rodriguez pulled it off with that submission. Does Yair Rodriguez have a chance of submitting Volkanovski? Not unless Volkanovski is somehow mentally kind of derailed from this experience with Makhachev, which I doubt he's too mentally strong. I think as long as Volkanovski's got... Um, he's got all of his all of his all of his tools in place. As long as he's in a good mental state, he should win the fight. But you're right, Yair Rodriguez has that opportunity over 25 minutes. And Volkanovski's not a big finisher. Over 25 minutes, Yair Rodriguez has the opportunity to potentially land a big kick out of nowhere and end the fight. And to be honest, his punching isn't all that bad either. Uh, but I do think that Volkanovski his, his elbows are dangerous. His yeah. body shots are dangerous. I Again, I don't see I don't see a body shot putting Volkanovski down. I think he'd sh- I think he'd shit his pants and just punch back. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think like, he would shit his pants. He would hold that. No, I don't mean I don't I don't I don't mean out of fear. I, I mean just like as an involuntary yeah, action. Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you yeah. mean. But but yeah, look, am I intrigued by the matchup? Yes, it's just Volkanovski will only get significantly better and more confident. I think from this Makhachev matchup. And Yair Rodriguez has good reason to be confident, but Yair also saw that Volkanovski fight. He's going to watch that fight with Makhachev. He's going to realize, like, holy shit, I wouldn't think that I have a chance against Makhachev, and this guy debatably beat him. So uh, definitely an edge to Volkanovski in that one, but I'm intrigued by it. I think it'll be interesting. As far as Islam Makhachev, what's next for him? Uh, People talk about Dustin Poirier. Like, I don't see any reason for that to happen. I don't think there's much. I don't either. I do think that Benil Dariush should be the next guy, and I think they have, if Makhachev is ready to fight anytime soon. They should cancel the Benil Daryush, um, the Benil Daryush matchup against uh, who was the former champion? Nick name escapes me as always. Benil Daryush versus wait for it, Charles Oliveira uh, is what is what they're at least working on. It's not official. Oh, I hadn't heard about. I that. I hope that gets okay. canceled, and I hope that Benil Daryush gets the matchup against Makhachev because, quite frankly, especially after seeing this. Benil Dariush, who's been in wars, who knows how to stay composed, who, who granted, doesn't have the greatest chin on planet Earth, and Makhachev clearly hits pretty damn hard. We're learning more and more now, right? Um, you know, grappling-wise, there's no reason to believe that Benil Dariush will get overwhelmed or that he'll get dominated. There's even a reason to think that Benil Dariush has a shot at getting some decent positions on the ground. He's a really, really, really high-level uh, grappler, and we like we did see him get submitted back in the day years ago. If, uh, I can't remember against who. Um, so he slipped on a banana peel, you know, in his development stages. But I think Manil Dariush has a has a decent shot against Islam Makhachev, and I would say a closer shot than the odds will be for this matchup if it does come to fruition. Um, and then we've got interesting. Then we got Jack Delamac. Oh, you got. No, I was going to say, you know, I think they're doing Fiziev Gagey. Yes. And if 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 Fiziev wins that, I could see I could him. See Getting getting Makachev, and I, I think that's exciting. But I also, you know, I think I think Makachev, I, I think it's very likely that that Makachev just drags him. I think you so. Know, drags him down and chokes him. Fiziev is also like a small guy, and that's part of the issue, right? Is that he's he's not one of the bigger, taller guys at this weight division. Makachev kind of is. So uh, for Fiziev, there's a size discrepancy there too. But he's extremely explosive, and I don't think I've ever seen Fiziev actually on his back. I've seen him get taken down for a millisecond and explode back up to his feet. The guy's got, I mean, he's got athleticism for days. He's got powerful hips. Um, but still, with, with Makachev, man, eventually he's probably going to get to him. Fiziev doesn't really have the experience. He needs that long-term experience against guys like RDA, 
Uh, and I'm glad he had that fight, and I'm, and I'm glad he's going to have this fight against Gaethje, although I think a, a grappler would be a better test for him, a better kind of practice round for him before Makhachev. Uh, it would be interesting to see if he can uh, if he can come away with the win there over Gaethje is a guy who, by the way, has only really lost to like top three-level competition. So, you know, we don't know that Faziev is there yet. He hasn't really had the chance to prove it. Um, and then we have the matchup between Jack Della Maddalena, Maddalena and uh, Randy Brown. Jackie, three names, Nikolai. Um, I think that Jack... Basically, like the reason that I was not confident in making this pick super early, the reason I didn't make this my first pick, um, and I think my first pick ended up being a screwjob decision, unfortunately for me, but the reason that this was my first pick is because Randy Brown on paper had the, the reach, the size, he had the skill to, to do really well against Madalena. It's just once Madalena lands, can Brown take it given that he's been knocked out a couple times? And I think like both of those things ended up happening, right? That first minute and a half or so, it seemed like Randy Brown was not going to get touched at all, man. Madalena had nothing... Uh, for him and then as the exit from the clinch as Randy Brown was still kind of had his arm extended and touching Madalena Madalena just threw that big right looping shot over the top landed clean on his chin Randy Brown basically face planted took a few more ground and pound shots and then Madalena went in for the choke it was basically a club and sub and it was really really impressive stuff this guy could be something extremely special and I'm glad the UFC sees that early on and they're developing him slowly yeah I mean it's it's been like We've been tracking him early, right? We've, we've been paying close attention. I feel like we were on the bandwagon as early as anyone yep. uh, in this case. And it was my first pick because I thought that what would happen is what happened. Yeah, but again, uh, Randy Brown had the skill to win this fight. It's just you can't be in a matchup where you get touched once, you're probably going out, even if you're the bigger, better fighter. right? Like Eventually, that's probably going to come... Uh, it's probably going to kind of haunt you, and and that's what happened here. Unfortunately, who do you do you have anyone in mind for for him next, Nikolai? Are we talking about? That's a, you know, that's a good question. We've gotten out of the me doing matchmaking, so let me look. Uh, I'm going to look real quick yeah. at 170. I'm I don't at think the rankings, rankings and um, and I'm seeing guys like you know Kevin Holland, Ponzinibbio, Li Jing Liang, who are ranked above Randy Brown, Michelle Pereira, but I think Michelle Pereira. You know, has has a risk factor to it. Why would you want to eliminate one of these two potential contenders? Um, Daniel Rodriguez is an option for him, I think. I, you know, I don't look at that the same way. The eliminating contenders. It's more <laughs> just like someone's someone's not taking the fast track. Like yeah. honestly, I would I would like at this stage in their career. If let's let's assume because I know he's heavily favored. Then in a couple of weeks, Shavkat Rachmanov uh, beats Jeff Neal. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. like I, I'll watch my, I'll, I'll watch Jack versus Shavkat now, soon, and like man. I hear you. I don't, I don't, I don't Jack. think, I don't know, man. There's not. Remember, none of the guys in the top ten who have been around want to take fights against you know yeah, a surging prospect. That. Like there's, you run out of options, and I don't want, I don't want to see the guy fight Alex Morano. I don't really want to, like he's gonna. I think, you know, Jackie three names beats Ponzinibbio. I think he he beats Daniel Rodriguez. I mean, I guess you could put him in with these guys. Someone well, online was suggesting Magny. Want to pair him up Ma- with is guys that they think he can beat, but that will provide like a slightly higher test than the last guy. And Randy Brown is like a pretty I, damn good test. Kevin Holland's a good test, but he's coming off two losses. Yeah, I think Kevin Holland um, is the name. I think Kevin Holland's probably the one that I would lean toward because it also he's a da- yeah. Kind of a big coming fight. off two losses, kind of sucks though. True, but I mean, it, like it's tough for Kevin. But also, to be fair, Holland has been fighting like some of the best in those two losses, right? Both guys that are ranked in the top five or six in the division, so not like. Yeah, I wouldn't give him if I wouldn't give him Sean Brady if Sean Brady loses. I mean, beats uh, Michelle Pereira. I think Sean Sean Brady's a it could be a potential momentum killer for anybody. Yeah, well, see, see uh, now you're looking at that that matchup you're looking at as a as a prospect versus prospect in which you don't want to kill momentum interesting well yeah but you're dealing yeah but well the problem is because if brady's winning that fight it's going to be boring yeah i hear that like if he if he loses a fight to shavkat it's not going to be a boring fight yeah you know you know like that although i could see shavkat getting on top and dominating and jack dell not going away easily jack dell by the way is a i believe a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt so as much as we've seen some like really really nasty stand-up from really nasty boxing 
guys got you know at least some experience in craft on the floor as we saw with that quick submission over the very very crafty randy brown um and outside of that what else uh, let me see if there's anything else worth discussing uh menifield jimmy crude i mean menifield just makes mma IQ mistakes like period that's just what he does even in a fight that should be his tyson pedro shat the bed crude, just as i could say it yeah. crude had a higher fight iq when he was semi-conscious i think you're right. <laughs> i think you're exactly right about that no joke uh, yeah, that, that point taken away obviously was a big killer for him. And then Medeskis, Buzkaskis versus Tyson Pedro. I mean, Tyson Pedro. Kill the Tyson Pedro party. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's, <clears throat> let's not get ourselves. This guy's not going to be anything special unless you give him absolute jobbers. And to be fair, Medeskis did okay. It just became kind of a pitter-patter, slow-motion fight that arguably could have gone either way. Those first two rounds could have been Tyson Pedro's, I guess. But I'm fine with that result, even though I picked Tyson Pedro. We've got Joshua Cooley, Batman, who looked fantastic. He's actually somebody yeah. that I placed a bet on because I expected him to be like even even craftier standing. But I expected like the first round to be competitive for him to start to walk away with the, like run away with the decision. Instead, he ended up dropping him in that second round, made an adjustment. I think he dropped him with a jab, possibly, and uh, and submitted him shortly thereafter. Really nice stuff. Um, Jamie Malarkey, Jack Jenkins, Lomaluk Bume. Uh, all of those fights went about as I expected, and Zubair Tuhugov got screwed in the decision. That, to be honest, like it shouldn't even be remotely close with a guy like Elvis Brenner, um, right? So this is a guy that fights close with just about everybody. Zubair is like after beating Moicano to lose this fight is pretty embarrassing, especially being in Makhachev's fight camp. But you know he lost a really, really debatable. I mean, I shouldn't even call it debatable. It was kind of a screw job. I thought. I don't know if you got a chance to watch that first fight of the night. Um. I didn't actually. Yeah, it was uh, I jumped like it. everybody. I think scored a thirty twenty seven for Zubaira. If you look at MMA decisions, if I remember correctly, I think everybody scored it for Zubaira, and he just got just trucked, man. He just got screwed um, in that decision. You know what, Nick? It's lucky for you because I would have had that much more of an advantage in our in our uh, in our points, Nick. Yeah, I'm I'm not doing very well. No, but, no, but, you, but you do. This time we're only a point and a half apart, right? You got you scored two and a half points. You got half a point for that uh, Jimmy Crute draw. And I scored four points. That leaves me at 17 in total, leaves you at 10 in total. So we're still within seven points. Uh, yeah, I'm down a lot. Far. Yeah. But again, but again seven points is something early, you can make but... up in two or three events, man. It's not out of the question. Mm. Well, let's get our picks in for this one. Let's do it, man. We have UFC Fight Night on Draj versus Aaron Blanchfield. This one's interesting because uh, Aaron Blanchfield's clearly getting thrown into the fire. And when, when Talia Santos had to pull out, and I'm, I'm actually not sure what the reason for her pulling out was, but when Santos had to pull out, they basically replaced Santos with somebody who was at least as dangerous. And so they're clearly hell-bent on, on giving Blanchfield like a very, very legit t- chance. And this is somebody that, by the way, makes Jessica Andrade makes a lot of mistakes, but she blows chicks that don't belong with her out of there. And I think Aaron Blanchfield, you know, doesn't make as many mistakes, but she doesn't have the experience to to, to really be expected to do well against Andrade in a full training camp. How about Andrade on very short notice, on literally a week notice, in a five-round main event, right? Even if Andrade does well early, can Aaron Blanchfield start to take over late? Uh, it's an interesting, interesting situation. Nick, we're only going to break down six fights on this one because, let's face it, we've not really heard of most of these fighters. We're going to break down the main event, Jessica Andrade versus Aaron Blanchfield. We're going to break down William Knight versus Marcin Proshnia, Alexander Hernandez versus Jim Miller, Maria Myra Bueno Silva versus Lena Landsberg is going to be on the docket for us, Jamal Emers versus Kusien Ashkabov, who's a 23 0 undefeated Chechen fighter, and then Philippe Lenz versus Ovin St. Peru. Again, mostly because we're familiar with, with, with most of these fighters, is why we're diving into these six. And so each of us is going to end up with three picks. Um, and then we're going to tally up the points at the end. As you all know, we each take turns picking fighters on the upcoming UFC card. A winning fighter scores you a point. A winning fighter of plus 150 or above scores you two points for the underdog value. A winning fighter of plus 250 or above scores you three points. Uh, I got one of those three-pointers a couple of weeks ago. I don't think either of us scored with two-pointers last week. But Nikolai, I believe you have the first pick this week. And of those six fights, what will it be? I don't want to pick any of these fights. Yeah, <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I just don't. Oh, God. <laughs> I, have for, I have first pick this week. You do have first pick this Ugh. week. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, but, by the way, just a quick note. The uh, prelims start at 4 p.m. this week, and the main card starts at 7 p.m. So this will be a, like this should be over by hopefully about 10 p.m. if the MMA gods are, are merciful. All right, I'm going to go, you know, try to go back to my basics, which is... Uh, 
you know, a lot of success picking picking women's fights. Um, I like uh, Myra Buena Silva. I'll I'll take her over Lena Landsberg. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Landsberg's been on a slide. She is four. She's close to forty, if not over. I think she might be over forty at this point. Myra Buena Silva doesn't have the best wrestling. She could be taken down and controlled, but. Really good submissions off her back. She is damaging standing up. It's usually one shot at a time pot shots, but she's aggressive. She hits hard. So I don't agree with you. I think she's going to accrue some serious damage. And even if Landsberg controls moments in the fight, judges are going to lean toward the fighter doing more damage more often than not nowadays. Uh, my first pick is... Would that, would, that have been your, would that have been your first pick? Did I steal um, your first pick? I don't know. To be honest, like, it's hard. Like, I think those odds are way too lopsided. Marabona Silva's minus 435. I think that's way too far apart. But that would have been... Would have been one of my first couple. I do see a couple of others that that are worth picking on the same level, despite the odds, though. Um, I, I didn't even put because there are only six fights. I didn't put them into order that I usually put them in. I just figured I would I would spitball as we go. Um, I think I'm going to make my first pick in the matchup between Philippe Lenz and Ovin St. Pru. Um, I'm probably going to. I know you're this. OSP. I know you're an OSP diehard. I remember you flew you flew to Nashville when he fought down there. Damn Skippy. You were following. You were the one. You were the one who told um, what's his name, Mauro Ronello, mm-hmm. right? Just to start referring to him as OSP because it sounds like GSP. Back in the strike that was force you. Days, you had, right? yeah, you had that. You had, <laughs> you had that. You had that marketing insight. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't nearly have the marketing insight of Mauro Ronello. He's, a, he, he's in his own way a genius at what he does. I actually think he's pretty solid and entertaining. Um, oh, I love him. Yeah, uh, yeah, me too. Um, so here's the thing: OSP has just been on a serious slide. On top of that, he doesn't train with a particularly good team, and he never has. He's never moved on from that local gym that he grew up in. And there's something to be said for loyalty, but it's not usually a great um, it's not usually a great attribute when when you know you're an MMA fighter at a local gym. And Philip Lenz like came down from heavyweight, had a pretty good performance last time out against Prochnia. Uh, got multiple takedowns. I think takedowns are a pathway for him here. I think he can pressure with strikes. He's not the best chin, though, and OSB hits hard. So there's serious risk in this pick being this early. But I'm going to take Philippe Lenz, who trains with ATT, which is an actual, you know, legit team. And Philippe Lenz was actually improving his MMA game over the extremely downward slide, uh, sliding uh, Ovin St. Pru, who took a super close split decision over Shogun last time out. All right, this is where I'm going to get stupid, but I think... I love Jim Miller. I mean, what's not to love about whipping his own? But Alex Hernandez is a buzzsaw in the first round. And Jim Miller can be finished. Hernandez is a better athlete. He's got more power. I Miller's been so crafty as of late. Um, and Miller's going to be a serious problem for Hernandez... Uh, if the fight goes to the third, maybe to the second round. But I think Alexander Hernandez, if he still has confidence left, he's back up at 155 after the ill-fated trip to 145 to take on Billy Q, where Alex Hernandez had a fucking bananas first round. Like, bananas first round. He was terrific. And then he, and the wheels fall off the bus. But I think he can get an 82-year-old Jim Miller out of there in one. Yeah, here's the thing about Jim Miller. He might be arguably 82 years old, although he doesn't look like it. I love, I mean... I, I, I like Jim Miller a lot. He is riding a three-fight winning streak, right? And he's losing to guys like Joe Selecki, Vince Pichel. He's beating guys like Eric Gonzalez, Nikita Mota, Donald Cerrone, right? Guys that are not, that don't have all their shit together at this point. It's safe to say that Alexander Hernandez does not have all his shit together. I know he's dangerous early. I know he hits hard. He has his shit together for five minutes. He does, but you know who else has his shit together for at least five minutes? Jim Miller. My guy who, by the way, if you, if you look at his record, right, like in the first round, almost every one of his wins. Charles Oliveira is the one guy that beat him in the first round. Dan Hooker beat him in the first round back in 2018. Both of those guys beat him in 2018 in the first round, right? And that was, I think, at the height of his sickle um, – was it sickle cell that, that he got? Uh, is, no, he, he had Lyme, Lyme, Lyme disease. disease. That's right, that's right. That was at the height of it, right, before he even figured out what that was. And then since then, he's gone on to do pretty damn well. Beat Jason Gonzalez, Clay Guida, uh, Roosevelt Roberts in the first round. Beat Eric Gonzalez, Nikita Mota, and Donald Cerrone in the second round. So he's not really getting blown up out of there unless uh, against a prime Dan Hooker or a prime Charles Oliveira. Um, I don't think that – I think Jim Miller's strong in the first round. I think he resists him, and it's relatively competitive. He could get clocked and knocked out, of course. But I think Jim Miller takes over. He's got, he's got more 
uh, of his shit together in that second or third round, even though he gets tired later in a fight, then does Alexander Hernandez. So this would have been a two-point pick for me. It probably would have been next. I was considering making that my first pick, as a matter of fact, just because I wanted to nab those two points. But uh, now that I said that, I'm sure that you're going to eventually change your pick. And uh, I don't blame you if you do, Nick. You should, uh, you should get more advice from me. My next pick is going to be in the matchup between Jessica Andrade and Aaron Blanchfield. We've seen Andrade that she can be a top, top fighter at 115. Could be champion, depending on who she's matched up with. Could be a top fighter, uh, at least at the top two or three, at 125, as we've seen with her performances over girls like Lauren Murphy, over fighters like uh, like uh, Shukagian, right, where she just dominates women that are in that top six, top seven range. Uh, I, I think Shukagian may be even closer to top uh, top two or three. And here we have this up-and-comer who's been looking, you know, at least on paper, untouchable, man, like undefeated in the UFC, only has that one loss earlier in her career, Aaron Blanchfield does, um, only has that one loss earlier in her career against Tracy Cortez, and it was a split decision back in 2019. Here's the thing, Jessica Andrade is going to be way smaller here. Um, she, we've seen her make mistakes against fighters who are kind of at the very top. And I think part of what this fight is going to answer is whether Aaron Blanchfield is really ready for that top, top, top level. We've seen her get uh, basically run through by Willie Zhang, run through by Valentina Shevchenko. And outside of, and to be fair, Yone Janjic had a good five-rounder with her back in 2017. But outside of that, man, like not a whole lot of girls mess with her. She knocked out Rose. She knocked out Karolina Kowalkiewicz, uh, dominated Tisha Torres. Uh, she she knocked out Caitlin Shukagan. She knocked out Cynthia Calvillo, who kind of gave up more than got knocked out. She finished Amanda Lemos recently and dominated Lauren Murphy so badly in her last fight that most people thought that Lauren Murphy's corner should have thrown her the towel or at least the referee should have had enough mercy on her. And Blanchfield is as really good as she is on the ground. She has decent takedowns, but really, really good top position game. Her best opponents so far have been Miranda Maverick, who doesn't have the best takedown defense and... If you have good takedowns and you're really good on the ground, you're a great, you have a great style matchup on your hands if you're facing Miranda Maverick. J.J. Aldridge, who did really well in the first round and, and, and you know won that round against Aaron Blanchfield, even though Aaron never gave up and kept pressing forward. Aaron's not going to be nearly as fast. She's not nearly as experienced. She has, and I'm looking at her record now, I don't think she's ever gone five rounds in her career. right? And even though Andrade is taking this on short notice, she is coming off of a win just a couple of weeks ago against Lauren Murphy. Um, a, dom- a dominant win yeah. against a high-ranking opponent. Yeah, and she didn't look any worse for wear. She's been five rounds several times. She's had many five-round training camps, right? And she's coming off of a fight uh, like less than a month ago, and we saw that with Sean Strickland, where like, is three weeks really enough time if you're on the couch to lose all of your cardio if you've been training hard? Not necessarily. I don't know that there's much reason to believe that Andrade has been on the couch. She seems like a hard worker to me. I think Andrade is going to be faster. I think the odds of her getting submitted are not super high. If Andrade's cardio is somehow not in place and Aaron Blanchfield survives those first couple of rounds, Aaron Blanchfield could get her late in the fight. But uh, I don't like her odds. I don't think Blanchfield is fast enough. She's not explosive enough. She's not strong enough. She won't have the wrestling advantage. Even though she has the height and reach advantage, she's going to be moving in slow motion compared to Andrade. So I like Jessica Andrade to get the win here. And I think there's some value at these odds. She's a slight favorite of minus 165. Uh, I think peppering Andrade with some money is worth it here. And to be honest, Blanchfield seems extremely tough. I would even look into uh, Andrade by decision as a potential prop. But again, Andrade at minus 165 is not a bet, not a bad bet to make it all. What are your thoughts on that Man. matchup? Uh, I, I tend to go with Andrade. I think, I think that's just a huge step up for the 23-year-old. Yeah, especially, yeah, especially like she didn't get the chance to prepare for this opponent specifically and Andrade Andrade can beat you you know can beat you anywhere ask Amanda Lemos you know no doubt oh, one quick thing Andrade by decision plus 550 plus 450 on some books but you get plus 550 odds of bet 365 so you know that's not a bad idea dude like like uh, I would I would not that not that we're condoning gambling not not at all that we're condoning gambling but uh, I would I would place like a quarter unit on that and probably uh and probably one unit on Andrade to win the fight period um, I would also consider, uh, like, it's fu- funny with Mara Buena Silva. I would probably consider Mara Buena Silva uh, by, by finish, which will probably net you something closer to even odds. Um, and then Jim Miller plus 195, man, especially Jim Miller by finish, which is the way to, to bet this fight if you're going to bet the underdog. You're going to get serious odds, probably like plus 450, plus 500 on Jim Miller by finish. That's something else that's worth investing into as well. So, I'm looking at the rest of the picks, and I hate all of these fights. Same. Um, like, I don't want... Yeah, I don't want to pick any of these. I'm just going to lose more points to you. <laughs> um, 
Ugh, on the, in the stupid co-main event at two oh five, I'm gonna take a pretty. I'm gonna take the the guy coming down from from heavyweight, Zach. Uh, how the hell do you say his last name? Paga. Uh, Pauga. Pauga. Wait, what's that? What's that? Are you talking about? We have um, Jamal Evers versus Kusian Ash. We're not picking the co-main event, Zach Pauga against Jordan. I don't even know if that's the, right. Is that really the co-main event? Not really. Jordan Wright's that's a jobber. It. I don't know who Zach is. It's it's listed as the co-main event. I mean, I guess. Are you just are you just are you just messing with me right now? No, I'm I sent you the six fights that I thought we should pick, and you, oh, and you didn't you didn't it, make an argument. Oh, I th- I assume that the co- like, yeah you sent me the fight on there. It's on there. It's the second fight down, the co-main event I, in the image you sent me. But there were the 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 I, I said it was the fights that were highlighted. Oh! You see how the yellow highlighter over six of the five. Oh, thank God! Game. That means I don't have to pick. I don't have to pick uh, Josh Preezy and Jamal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for sparing me that. You're welcome. Um, in that case, I'll take uh, I'll take Hussein uh, Ashkabov over Jamal Emmers. I don't have any reason for that except that like it seems that everyone else is doing that. Um, I am actually <laughs> going to disagree with that because. Hussein is a is a Chechen fighter, and some of these Chechen fighters they come up fighting like two and one, zero oh and two, twenty six and twenty nine opponents, and that's kind of what he's come up doing. Jamal Embers is a good wrestler. He trains with Team Alpha Male quite a bit of the time. He's got pretty good striking. Yeah, he makes some mistakes in there, but I get I think like considering Hussein has gotten like his back taken by a really bad fighter and like just held there for a whole round and a little bit of the footage that I was able to watch, I think Jamal Embers should be able to mop the floor. And I think at plus 105 as underdog value, I think put some money on Jamal Embers. Um, he is, he should be the better fighter here. Hussein has extremely fast kicks and he just spams kicks at you left and right, left and right, switch kick, right kick, switch kick, right kick. Um, occasionally we'll throw a spinning thing. His punches are hideous, but they're fast. Like he's, he's pretty fast. The guy is, um, and, and fairly explosive. I should say fairly athletic, but I think Jamal Embers has the skill edge in most areas. He can get caught by a kick, but I think realistically, given the guys that Jamal Embers has lost to, um, Hussein should not be on that level. I will say, though, the guy has like 4 million, uh, 4 million uh, uh, what's it called, followers on Instagram. So, like, I don't, I don't know if he bought those, but, but apparently he's famous in Chechnya. Yeah. Maybe he probably hangs with Katarov. All right, so like I said, I'm taking I'm taking Emmers over Ashkabov. What the? F- God damn it, Nick! God damn it! Just go ahead and let me do all the research for you, why don't you? Um, are, are you really changing your pick? I mean, do you want me to change it now on the air? Or do you want me to change it later? No, if you're going like to change it, you, you might as well go with it now. At least our listeners will know. Um, yeah. So that leaves me with the one fight that I genuinely <laughs> did not want to pick. William Knight versus Marcin Prochnia. Marcin, yes. oh, it's terrible. Uh, Marcin Prochnia is a guy who like looked like a jobber early in his UFC run after having a good amount of success at one FC, um, and he got caught several times by the same southpaw tricks over and over again. And you know he kind of he kind of started to put it all together. He got a couple of wins, including a. <coughs> a excuse me. You you are Sorry. you are excused, he, including a, he picked up a win over uh, over that really scary two hundred five pounder. Hold on, I have to I have to look back at his record now to give you to give you this uh, to give you the name of this fighter. Uh, Prochnia beat. Wait for it as it loads. He beat uh, Khalil Roundtree, and outside of that, his other win in the UFC is over Jabber uh, Ikeville and the Weva, which is not very impressive. But he did beat Roundtree like pretty decisively. Took over in that second round, showed composure, was able to take his punches, which is a good sign for him. Um, I, I think I think the issue is that he lost his last fight. Um, to Philip Lenz by t- getting taken down four times, and William Knight can take people down four times. Standing up, Marcin probably has the edge, and he hits hard enough. William Knight has some power standing, and he has the power to potentially take him down. So I guess I'm going to edge toward the overall less skilled but raw and athletic William Knight. But I don't like it one bit, Nikolai. Not one bit. So you're, yeah. I mean, William Knight looks like he should be a power lifter. Um, he really he moves like he should be a power lifter too. So you're taking you're taking Marcin. Uh, I guess I'm taking Knight just because I think he could drag him to the floor oh, a couple Knight. times. But I think Marcin Prachi is the more skilled guy. Like th- these are basically even odds for good reason. Um, it, it's just hard with William Knight where he overcomes like skill disparity over and over again against these like middle level guys and sometimes gets wins. It's it's hard to yeah. This card this this card's awful. It really is. Um, just a couple of fights worth watching and and they were included in the ones that uh, that we. What's picked. the What's next? 
Let me consult with my John, guy. Got John, John Lineker. You got John Lineker. Uh, Who's Lineker fighting in, at one, in one? You got Phil, Phil DeFreeze over Todd, over uh, fighting Todd Duffy. They've apparently fought before in KSW. Yeah, I... Yeah, I heard that Todd Duffy signed a contract with KSW. He he was he was once seen as like a serious prospect who never really had real success over anybody that's not a jobber. Uh, we got a we got another mostly mediocre yeah, card. Ryan Span versus got, Nikita Krilov. I mean, that's a that's an interesting main event. The way that if Span is actually training now, you know what? As he this says. isn't. There, there's some there's some decent there there are a couple of decent fights on this card. Not a lot of them, to be fair. Yeah, not a whole lot of names, that's for damn sure. But if you look at uh, Andre Jordan Muniz, Levitt, Victor Martinez, that's it's fine. okay. Brendan Allen versus Andre Muniz is a high-level middleweight fight. That's something I'm very excited about. Augusto Sakai versus Dontel Mays is not a terrible heavyweight fight by heavyweight standards. Tatiana Suarez is coming back to, that's a good to fight. face yeah, Montana bit, Del Rosa, which I'm excited about. That's, that's the fight. I mean, on the card, that's the fight to watch because, you know, Tatiana Suarez is meant to be a, a you know someone to challenge um, Valentina Shevchenko. Yep. And they're, they're, I mean, I think this is a very winnable fight for her. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Montana De La Rosa. Um, so, yeah. And you got, I mean, I don't know about, I guess Andre, Andre Muniz that's a great against fight, Brendan man. Allen. That's an awesome pretty fight. Good. That's going to be exciting. It's, it's it likely, like, yeah, that's going to, that's going to be exciting. And yeah. it's going to be a, uh, <clears throat> there could be some arms and necks snatched yeah. in that fight. And that, Nikita Krilov, yeah, that, and that's going to be fireworks. Yeah, no, sure. those those are pretty good. Those are those are there's three or four solid fights yeah. on this card for like for like fans. It's not yeah. na- it's not a lot of names, definitely but not. you know, Muniz is definitely a problem. Yeah, he is. He's no joke. That guy's serious. Um, so so yeah, look, I don't know where all the UFC fighters are that like everybody's familiar with. Uh, like, like these holding out for up. holding out for big fights. Well, like that's but I mean, I'm talking about even like the mid to low level guys, like a lot of uh, guys and girls, a lot of the fighters that we're familiar with. Like, where the hell have they been? We've, we're seeing all these cards where we we have like four or five familiar matchups, and then everything else is a bunch of newcomers to the UFC. Like, like I don't know what's going on. I don't know where they're hiding them, but I'm hoping that the UFC is front loading all these all these new all these new fighters, and hopefully we can get some more familiar names. Following this well, part, listen. It's not like you want to talk about familiar names? Yeah. March fourth, March fourth, up and down the card. I mean, holy shit! You got. Let's just. I know we're we're running out of time, but like, I just want to talk about this for a second. You got John Jones, Cyril Gunn. Yeah. You got you got Shevchenko against Alexa Grasso. Let's go. You've got Bo Nickel making his debut, his, his pay per view debut. You got Jafniel Shavkat. Let's go. That's all the main card. Then you get to the prelims, and you got stuff like Cody Garbrandt, Trevin Jones opening it up. Not bad. You got Derek Brun- Derek Brunson, Drickus Duplessis, which could be a main event on a fight yeah, night card. Yeah. Is not even the top prelim yes. the way that it looks on this. So maybe that's Vivian where they've o- been hiding all the no Vivian Orojo, Amanda Hebas. Yep. You know, like yep. that, and that's good stuff. There's even I mean those are those, you know there's other stuff like Julian Marquez is on the fight is on the card. Um, yeah, Farid Basharat is fighting on this one um, versus Damon Blackshear. Tabitha Ricci, Jessica Penne is a decent test for Tabitha Ricci, I guess. Not not an elite level fight. But again, like these are the Tabitha Ricci versus Jessica Penne fight. It's not a great fight, but it would have been one of the better fights on, on, on this coming fight night and the one after that. March 4th is Yeah, this is loaded, fight. though. I mean, talking, I mean, Derek Brunson, Trickus Duplessis is on the prelims. Yeah. And like, Agreed. you know, that stuff. could, that could. That's probably. I mean, honestly, that's a bigger. That's a bigger main event than Aaron Blanchfield, Jessica Andrade. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, Jessica Andrade is pretty serious business, but but you know, it's it's. it's I not mean, a bad she name. is, but yeah, it's. Yeah, if, and and if we look at, so I'm hoping that like that UFC UFC 285 is like the the one that breaks the mold, and after that, hopefully, we'll have some some fight nights that are like actually worth watching. I'm looking at the upcoming card. Then we've got oh yeah, then we've got uh, the next event after that is going to be the the week following March 4th. March 11th, Yan versus Devashvili is a great fight. Alexander Volkov oh my God. versus Alexander Romanov. Uh, the the battle of the Russian Alexanders. Mahmoud Muradov is fighting on that one. Um, let me see if there's anything else. JJ Aldridge, Arian Lipsky is an exciting fight. At least Jonathan Martinez, Said Nurmagomedov, Mario Batista, Guido Ganetti, uh, Tyson Nam, Bruno Silva, 
Tony Gravely versus Victor Henry's a good fight. Yeah, like you know what? Rafael Sunsau, David Grant is on that one. Let's go, man. Yeah, we're starting to we're starting to get somewhere a little bit, and I'm excited about that. Like, oh, I let's get through. I'm these worried. Two I'm worried for Peter. I'm worried for Petriad. I don't know that I would have taken the Devashvili fight know, after. Given the reason. The gaunt, like I mean, it's not. It's not like he's fighting poorly. No, it's just like. But Zavashvili is a bad. Zavashvili is a bad, bad matchup for him. Yeah, potentially. I don't disagree. That'll do it for this one, Nick. I'm looking forward to connecting next week. I'm actually looking forward to connecting leading up to March 4th more than any time because that's going to be a pretty stacked card. And hopefully after that we'll we'll get more of those you know cards where we can actually recognize some names without having to Google these motherfuckers. Yep. Uh, but another one in the books, Nikolai. I'm seven points ahead. I hope that I lose every one of these, and I hope you win every one, Nikolai. And then we're suddenly no, with four for your, points. Thanks for your charity, asshole. It's, a, it's not charity. It's it's a hope for your sake, my friend. Goodbye. I'm praying for you, and I don't even believe in prayer. Bye.